Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog, the only rugby podcast that is in breach of Team Protocols 365 24-7, although technically <laughs> technically this year it's 366, so we get an, an extra day to break those Team Protocols, which is always good. Uh, as always, I am Cami Black and this week I thought I'd do something different with the introductions. Uh, to introduce the guys that are on the podcast this week. Uh, first up is the man who's staying alive up in East Five. <laughs> it's Sandy Smith. There you go, Sandy. That's why I was asking you earlier what the Ember yes. entrance music uh, is. <laughs> it, it all comes together. Yeah, greetings, everyone. Yeah, there we go. So we've got to uh, fade that out then, and then I'll go for the next introduction now. So... Next big introduction for this one. Uh, next on the show, it's the guy from Ross Eye, the beast from Butte. Uh, it took a little while coming in. It's John Anderson. Evening, folks. How are you so? I believe it is. I have got that right. It is Enter Sandman that they use. It is, yeah, yeah. For Glasgow. They've got a strange, um, they've got a strange way of, they kind of loop it. Once the team starts running out, they play the kind of main riff over and over and over. I couldn't quite get um, to do that, yeah. I, I didn't have time, may, so you... I just found the YouTube video of it. Anyone who's listened to the um, the charity song will, of course, recognise that Tom beat. Of course, yeah, that's meant to sound, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm really sad. I know I didn't, I cut Last for Life, Sandy, but I kind of feel people are going to get complaints on this. I'll let this run until it absolutely kicks in. And then we'll <laughs> it's building, we're nearly there. It's true, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, got, like, it's a long it's intro of... on it. So is this the bit they loop at Glasgow, or is it just. Uh, so the, uh, this bit, they, they kind of. They, just as the team are running out, they do this bit here, and then they explode it. There we go. All that I, can, yeah, I yeah. couldn't quite let it, not let it go. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't quite have the voice of the the announcer at Scotsdon to you know start screeching about you are our sixteenth warrior. Da 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 da. da. So um, <laughs> yeah, we'll but, not do that. Um, so on with the podcast then. Oh, hang on a minute! Hang on a minute! Who's this? Wow. It can't be. <laughs> It's the man who put the lang in canvas lang. It's the man who puts the sideline in the offside line. It's Ian Hay, everybody. <laughs> Cold some bitches here. <laughs> Evening, gentlemen. Evening, right. Ian. Hello. Evening, Ian. How are we? Evening. So John, John nearly twigged that Ian was on the call earlier, and I had to lie and say that he wasn't. It was a technical issue. I um, believed every word you said as well. <laughs> you manipulative <laughs> son of a gun. Just waiting for you to, for John to say, "Oh, thank Christ, he's not on it again." <laughs> I, I censored myself well. Yeah, and you see, Ian suggested doing a, a sound test beforehand to check he wasn't too quiet, and I said, "No, it'll be fine." But right enough, he's too quiet. <laughs> well, well, it was worth it was worth the week that, that we spent planning that, Ian. <laughs> Has it, has it been a week? It's only been four days, I believe. Is yeah. it Friday? It's Friday, I think you came up with the idea of it. So, so there we go. So, <laughs> I feel like that was worth it. <laughs> too much, Ian's got too much time in his hands, clearly. <laughs> so we've got a we've got a, a four header this week for a Six Nations preview uh, podcast. Um, we alluded last week to the fact that we were recording podcasts back to back, and and so we did. Uh, however. Within 24, well, not even 24 hours, within 12 hours of recording that podcast, pretty much everything we said was turned on its head. And we will come to that in a moment. 
Um, for the moment, though, don't forget you can get in touch with us uh, by email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We're on Twitter and Facebook too, at Scott Rugby Blog and at Cami Black on Twitter. We are Facebook uh, on, if you search for Scottish Rugby Blog, it'll come up. We're on Instagram too, and we remember to update it. Apparently, that's where all the cool kids are. This is Scottish Rugby Podcast. And don't forget, you can visit the blog as well, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We've got a lot of really good stuff coming up over the Six Nations. And if you go there right now, you can read Sandy's article entitled, What Kind of Scotland Fan Are You? Which I I really enjoyed the bit at the end, Sandy, which said, are you a podcaster or a blogger? Yeah. Well, you've got to, you've got to be able to take the piss out yourself. Really, well, exactly. You know, well, well, if 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 not, then who's going to? Apart from people in who leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts, which you can do too. Please don't <laughs> take the miss though. though. Um, yes, you can listen to us on Apple Podcast, Acast, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, or any other podcast apps that you have. Um, you can also listen to us on the blog if you want to do that as well. We we will we put an episode up every week. Um, we're going to start with the news, as we always do. Now, before we get to the main event, um, as many of you will have realised, it's 30 years since Scotland's last Grand Slam this year. Uh, and I'm sure most people who listen to the podcast, because we've recommended it a number of times, will have read Tom English's excellent book, The Grudge, which looks back at the Grand Slam, uh, but also the infamous Calcutta Cup match between England and Scotland that year uh, against the backdrop of the poll tax riots. Um the book is being re-released for the 30th anniversary of the Grand Slam, and earlier today I spoke to Tom English about the book. Um, we're joined now by Tom English, a sports journalist with the BBC, but also uh, author of the book The Grudge, which is being re-released for the 30th anniversary of Scotland's Grand Slam win. Uh, Tom, when we get somebody on the podcast the first time, we always start by asking them what club socks they'd wear if they were called up by the Barbarians. Now, I appreciate your playing days might be behind you, but let's let's imagine that there's a sports journalist select 15. I would I would have to wear, and you're right, my playing days are long gone. Um, I would have to wear the socks of Bohemians Rugby Club in Limerick. Uh, it's the club that I had played for. Uh, with uh, an enormous lack of distinction, <laughs> and and it's also very disconcerting when I go back to Limerick and I'm and I'm just back uh, from Limerick, and I speak to people who uh, who over the years have been associated with Bohemians, and none of them ever remember me playing for the club, which I, <laughs> which, which I think is which I think might be might be uh, an illustration of how uh, uh, what little impact I I made on the place when I was there. So, but it would still be, despite that horrible slight, I would still wear their socks. Yes, I think. I mean, there's probably it'd be interesting to see how many um, rugby journalists are actually remembered by the clubs that they claim to have played for in the past. Where there's a co- correlation between you know good rugby journalists being frustrated rugby players at heart. It's yeah, that, that's true. Um, I mean, I played, I played football, soccer, I played hurling, I played a lot of things when I was younger. I, I kind of played rugby a lot later than I would say a lot of others um, because rugby, I played in school, obviously. I went to the same school as, as Paul O'Connell. Uh, he obviously uh, a number of years after. Uh, I like to say that I, I wore the, the number five jersey and I passed it on to him and fair play to him. He didn't let me down uh, in, full, in, in carrying on my legacy. <laughs> Um, Art School, Rich School in, in in Limerick was the, was the school, but um, no. Listen, I have never claimed to be a, a kind of rugby player 
that would have made it had I not picked up that injury. <laughs> I was very, I was very, very keen, very keen, but I was very rubbish. I was second row, uh, and I didn't lack for enthusiasm, but uh, talent. That was uh, that was another thing. Yeah. Um, in terms of the book, then, I mean, it's, it's it came out, I think, in 2010 originally, mm. uh, when it was first issued. What, it was your first book, though, wasn't it? Was it was writing a sports book something you always wanted to do? Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was my first book, and it was something that I was very keen to do. And I had I had dabbled with a number of ideas over the years. Um, I'd actually dabbled. The first serious kind of dalliance I had with writing the book was. Um, when I was still living in Ireland and uh, um, I wanted to write a book about Shergar, the horse that disappeared, um, was spirited away in the night by the IRA. Um, and I wanted to write a book about, you know, in search of Shergar, uh, I wanted to go back and find, a talk to the kidnap gang, because by then all their names had come out in various articles and various books everyone knew who their names were so they um i contacted about four of the gang one of them actually was um allegedly uh was a uh a, a, a councillor county councillor politician in dublin inner city dublin so i contacted a number of these guys and didn't hear anything back say look i want to you know i want to talk to you about shargar i know you know you might have information blah 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 and I heard nothing back, and then I eventually started to write to them again. And then I got one very brief letter from one of the uh, guys who had been linked with the gang, uh, kind of very politely, uh, but very firmly dissuading me from carrying on, contacting him <clears throat> about this matter. So I kind, of, um, I, kind of, I kind of dropped the idea there because I thought I've never... I had this grand notion that, you know, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist finds out where Shergar is buried. But no, anyway... <laughs> It was never going to happen. So I kind of dropped that idea. I had loads of other ideas. And I thought, when I thought about the, the, the grudge, what I liked about it, um, or the 1990 story, uh, that I couldn't get it out of my head. And I think once you get an idea like that, that you constantly are thinking about, then you're onto something. I mean, I would have had 50 ideas for books before I, before I happened on this one. And they kind of flitted in and out. You lose interest. But this one stuck in my head because of the rugby, because of the range of characters. The cast of characters was phenomenal on the pitch and off the pitch. But also because of the, the backdrop to it, Scotland, what Scotland was like back in those days. So I, just, I just thought the range of characters was, was compelling and I, could, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. And that's why I decided I was going to go for it. Um, and presumably you didn't get any letters from anyone dissuading you from pursuing this, did you? No I, no, I didn't. I didn't. Although the first time I went to see Jim Telfer, I did say to him, "You know, Jim, I'm here to talk to you. I'm doing a, I'm doing a book about 1990, uh, the Grand Slam." And he kind of paused and he looked at me straight in the eyes and he said, "Why?" <laughs> so, so, so I thought, "Oh gosh, if Telfer doesn't think it's a good idea, maybe, I, maybe I've made a mess of this already." But uh, no, no letters. The first two calls that I made were to Brian Moore and to, and to Will Carling. And I thought, and I said to myself, because I knew that these two guys were the guys who were most affected by the, 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 the vitriol coming from, from some Scotland fans, the rising, the surge of nationalism, they saw these two guys as the embodiment of, 
of Thatcher's England, which was completely false, but that was the perception that was put on them. So I thought these were the guys who acute, who felt the, the, the pain of defeat more than any other person, people in that England team. I said, if I couldn't, if they didn't want to cooperate with the book, that I wasn't going to do it because I had to get to these two guys. And they were, they were phenomenal. I mean, both of them were, were amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's the really interesting thing about the book. I think when every, I speak to people who've read it, particularly Scottish people, what comes out of it is every says, I, I came out from reading that book liking Brian Weir and Will Carling. Mm. And, and I mean, I wonder, what, did you kind of set, because it would be easy to focus on the sporting aspects and the political aspects of the story, but there's a real kind of emotional heart, I think, in, in both teams in the story. Was that something that came out in the interviews or, or was it something you were, you were trying to sort of see whether that was there when you set out to do it? Well, I mean, you take Will, for example. I didn't know Will. I'd never spoken to Will. I didn't know him at all. Um, but I knew Keith Wood, who had played with Will at Harlequins um, and was, and was pals with him. <clears throat> so I got, um, I got Keith Wood very kindly uh, offered to phone Will on my behalf and set up the interview, and that's what happened. And I went to London and I met Will. And, and I remember Keith saying to me, give me a call after you speak to him and tell me what you think. So I said, right, okay. And I, I went down there thinking that I was going to find the caricature Will Carling, you know, this this preening, arrogant Englishman, you know, the embodiment of, of Twickenham. Um, I found completely the opposite character, incredibly humble, um, very self-critical, very self-analytical. Um, a guy who was honest enough to say that, you know, back in 1990, he was he gave the front of being in control, but it was all a front. He said he put up a mask of authority when actually behind the scenes, he was very, very insecure. And so I, once we got into that, and I thought that's very impressive to be saying to this to somebody who he doesn't know, you know, um, but he'd come through a journey in his life at that point and he'd come out the other side. He, he was way happier as he is now, much changed character. And all of Brian Moore, who didn't get on great with, with, with Will in those days, well, they're good pals now. You know, they've all come on this little journey. So, so Will, I thought, was fascinating to get under the layer of the rugby player and, and deal with the insecurities of the superstar. Uh, he was, you know, probably English rugby's first great superstar. But to find out what he was actually like, not what we thought he was like. Um, Moore is a force of nature. You know, I mean, it's just... I was down with him down in London with him not too long ago for the for the updated uh, edition of the book, and I think at that time, so I would have interviewed Moro two or three times at length around two thousand and nine, two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, and constantly checking stuff with him as I was doing the book. On top of that, and obviously he had this 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 darkness in his life that he was abused as a child and that hadn't come out yet he wasn't ready to speak about it um but he did his own book not long after and it all came out and there was looking back over my notes before i went back down to london to interview him for the updated version of the book i came across this paragraph and he's he was, ta he was talking about will and he was talking about will going to private school in sedbra in the, the back end of the Yorkshire at the age of seven and and he said at the time 
to me, you know, that must have damaged him as a person. Going to a private school in the middle of nowhere at the age of seven, it must have damaged him. And then he said, but we're kind of all damaged in a way. And he didn't elaborate on it. But mm. I asked him before for this book, I said, was that what you were getting at? And he said, yeah, that's probably what I was getting at, but I wasn't ready to talk about it. So yeah. we're, talking, we're talking about people here who have multiple layers. And they're, as a writer, they're dream, dream characters. Yeah, I mean, the other, the other interesting thing is that you've almost got the, the same characters, I suppose, with, with Carling and Moore, uh, the kind of struggling almost to fit in and struggling for an acceptance. And you have that in Scotland as well, interestingly, but particularly with Ian McGeekin, who sacrifices so much, you know, to, mm. to play for Scotland and then to coach Scotland. You know, I think that comes over in the book really well that, that the, you know, that he, you know, he was almost losing his job and and putting himself under his family under enormous strain to make it up to Scotland, but he wasn't always accepted up there. Again, was that something that came out in the interviews, or was it something you were aware of beforehand? Um, I I was a, I was aware of a little bit of it, but not to the extent uh, that I became aware of it. You know, he, I think, a lot of times, if you talk to a sports person. Uh, a, a male sports person. And if you start talking to them about their father, more often than not, you go into very interesting places. Very, very interesting places. Um, and so it was with with, uh, with Geach, because he idolised his father. I mean, you could tell he just, he just worshipped his father. His father died died as a, young, as a young man, never saw Ian play rugby for Scotland, uh, but was this incredibly strong Glasgow guy, incredibly generous and an inspir- and an absolute inspiration to Geach. And uh, he spoke about him with incredible warmth and was very emotional. Here I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I was talking to Geach um, and he was, you know, he was, he was crying as he was talking about his father uh, and the love he had for his father. And, and, you know, he told a story, he tells a story and then I went back and I spoke to to Ian as well for the for the new edition, and he tells a story that um, uh, on the pitch uh, before kickoff against England in 1990, uh, the band that was playing was the band of, from his father's old school in Dunblane, and one of the band the band leader, the pipe major, came over to Geach as Geach was just walking around looking at the pitch, and said, "I went to school with your father," um, and he'd be and he'd be very proud very proud of what, what you've done and Geach again you can imagine you know I mean he said it was out of the blue wasn't expecting it and then he thought my god you know is is I mean as weird as it might sound is my father kind of here in some way here in March 17 1990 is he looking down on me because this man has just come up to me and said he knew him and spoke glowingly of him I mean so the father there is key to Geach absolute key to Geach because Geach always was trying to prove himself as a Scot. You know, he wasn't born in Scotland, obviously, but he is very, very Scottish. Very Scottish and very proud to be Scottish. And when he was starting off playing for Scotland, there was a journalist called Reg Prophet uh, working for the, I think, the Edinburgh Evening News. Um, and he used to call Geach the Englishman. That's how he used to refer to him in his copy, you know. And that got to Geach because uh, he was constantly striving to show, look, you know, yes, I was born in England, but my whole family is Scottish, you know, accept me, 
And I think that was that was driving it, and that's why he didn't want to give up coaching, even though he knew he was putting his teaching career at jeopardy, putting his family life at jeopardy. But he had the support of an incredible wife who said, "No, Ian, you, you follow this, follow your dream." give up the teaching because he was under pressure to pick one or the other from his head teacher at the time, head, uh, head teacher at the time. So he chose rugby and what a decision, what a decision it turned out to be. Yeah. And um, obviously the, the, you've, you've obviously gone back and interviewed people again. Is, is what can we expect from the updated sort of 30th anniversary, I suppose, version of the book? Yeah. Well, I went back and I interviewed, I did three big interviews. So it's, I think it's about another 10,000 words, give or take. Uh, on top of the original book. So I went back to Brian Moore and, you know, updated his life and times. Uh, obviously, we spoke about the effect of being abused as a child had on him and how it, he said it explained certain traits in his personality, you know, this relentless, almost manic uh, energy and desire to win um, that he had. He kind of traces it back to some of that. Very spoke very very movingly about it actually. Um, so, updating his life story, um, and you know it's 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 funny because he's had in the meantime he's got he's had he's had twins. You know, three years ago he had twin girls. He's now got four girls. So he said now at the age of pushing sixty, he's an expert on Peppa Pig, and <laughs> and and Peter Rabbit. Um, and all these cartoons, he was listening, here's a man nearly 60, and he was talking for about 10 minutes about Peppa Pig and Susie's Sheep and <laughs> Pedro Pony or whatever they're, whatever they're called, and then about Peter Rabbit. And he, had, he went into this big soliloquy about the evils of Peter Rabbit, how he was a sponger, he was taking advantage of people. <laughs> and it was just classic Brian Moore. I mean, I was just sitting there in awe of him. I mean, Brian Moore could literally have a conversation about any subject, and he would make it interesting. <laughs> so, so that was a Moore. I, I went down to England to interview um, Geach. We updated his story, and obviously, you know, an awful lot happened to him post-1990 with all Alliance stuff and uh, Wasps in Northampton. I mean, and one of the great rugby careers, uh, coaching careers we'll ever see. And then I uh, went out to Gala Shields and spent a lot of time with uh, with Jim Telfer, who's, you know, as fascinating now, and he's, in March, he's going to be 80. He's as fascinating now as he ever was when he was in the front line. He's still got, he, I just find him, you know, I've been writing, I've been in journalism for 25 years, and I would struggle to come up with a more compelling man than Jim Telfer. Do you think you've answered Jim Telfer's why now, looking back on it? Do I say that again, Cammy? Do you think you've answered that question that Jim Telfer asked you, the why? Uh, well, well, I hope so. Well, I, I kind of asked it very hesitantly, you know. I mean, you'd want to, with Jim, like, you'd be, you'd be very cautious about asking him, did you read the book? You know, the original book that 10 years ago I sent it to him. Uh, and, but I did, I asked him, did you read the book? And he said, Hi. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and I said and what did you think of it? And he said, hi, hi, you captured it quite well. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then he went on and he said, I did enjoy the bits where JJ and Finn Calder and Derek White uh, say that they were 
going to sit in the team meeting to sit separately around the room rather than the three of them, the back row, sit together so that my eye would be drawn towards them and I could and I could slag the three of them off as a group sitting beside each other. <laughs> so an easy target, that was what they did. They, they decided to sit in different corners of the room so as to draw less attention to themselves and get maybe in a, in a, in a, in a, in a vain but, but uh, futile hope that, that Telford wouldn't pick them out and, uh, and criticise them. But um, I, think, I, think, I think he got a kick out of it. But you're never, from Jim, you're never going to get effusive praise. I didn't want effusive praise. The fact that the fact that he welcomed me into his home and his wife Frances and welcomed welcomed me into their home, I think that was praise enough because, you know, I I just have the world I have the world of respect for every one of the people that I spoke to because they're you know they're great rugby great rugby men with great rugby stories to tell. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask you one one final question in terms of sort of where we at Scotland are now. I mean, do you think there's anything that, that the current Scotland team can learn from the 1990 squad or do you think the sport's changed too much? I know. I think there is, Cammy. Yeah, I think there is. I think there's stuff. I think they're, 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 well, first of all, when you look at what Telfer did to them and, um, and the way he pushed them and you could say the way he bullied them at times, uh, Utterly brutal with them, all for the purpose of making them better. You know, purely for because Telford could see that these guys were worth it. They were worth spending so much time tormenting them because he could see they could be a champion team, and they became a champion team. But all those guys had to, particularly the forward pack, had to put up with all sorts of stick, and the mental strength that they had to put up with it and grow from it and be inspired by it rather than walking out and saying, no, I'm not listening to this anymore. They had to be strong guys. And I think the game has has changed completely since then, obviously. Changed multiple times since then. But what I think what they can learn is to toughen up mentally. Finn Calder, incredibly strong mentally. JJ, Derek White, uh, uh, Cronin, Chris Gray, the front row, Tough, tough, good rugby players. None of them world-class. You could maybe say David Soule was world-class. Um, but tough. My God, they were tough. And they love playing for Scotland and they love to win. Mentally, wow. Impressive men. I think that's, you know, I think that's what the, the current generation could learn. That mental side of it. That, that ferocious will to win. Stop at nothing. Absolutely stop at nothing. That's what the 1990 team had. And, you know, we all hope that we're alive long enough to see another Scotland team win another Grand Slam. So, Brian Moore is, a fa- is not a fan of Peter Rabbit, apparently. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, I am also not a fan of Peter Rabbit. If you want to hear more of that, you can listen to the other podcast I do, CBeebies Go Home. Uh, where I have, we have an entire 40 minutes where myself and my uh, co-host James discuss CBB's Peter the Rabbit at length. So we, I might try and get Brian Moore on that podcast. <laughs> be slightly perverse. Um, now, I didn't get a chance to ask Tom about the fact that the film rights to the book were bought up back in 2011 by the same people who produced the King's Speech. So I'll turn it to you three um, for this. I'll start with you, Sandy. Who, who, who are you casting in, in the film uh, version of The Grudge? Um, you, you've kind of caught me 
unaware. I've only just noticed that we were doing this. <laughs> um, so I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to cheat. And I saw. Uh, I saw that somebody had suggested to you, um, and this is the one I think is just the best. Is Ben Stiller as Ivan Tuchel? I thought that was very good, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I, I'm struggling myself given that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, caught, I, 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 I was slightly naughty with me, Sandy. I didn't give you. I didn't give you advance warning we were doing this. Um, I went for Michael Sheen as Sarah McGeekin, and, and um, I think Stephen Graham is the popular choice for Brian Moore. John, have you got any at all? Any any ideas for who you'd cast? See, I've went really generic. I, it would have to have Leonardo DiCaprio in it at some place, so I'm I'm not really fussed who he plays. He just has to be in it. Has he got the chin for Will Carling? Oh, that's maybe a shout, actually. Surely that's Aaron Eckhart. Oh, that's a very good shot. Very good shout. You've thought a lot about this, Ian. I haven't. I've only just saw this like 20 minutes ago on Twitter because obviously I wasn't meant to be on. <laughs> 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 I've been playing the long con on this. Um, we've got uh, Doug the Prop got in touch with a few. He said D- James Cosmo is Jim Telfer. Um, David Tennant is Geach, which I thought that's not a bad shout. Um, I think I think probably Michael Sheen's a better better call. And t- I like this Tom Hardy bulked up to Bane size as David Soul. <laughs> I can see that. that. Yep, that works. Um, who what else did we have? Uh, Martin Bell asked who's playing Doogie Donnelly. I said you'd have to just use de aging technology because he's irreplaceable and he'd have to play himself. <laughs> So what about um, Martin Compton as Gary Armstrong, perhaps? Possibly, that's a good one. I, I, nice. Somebody, somebody yep. else suggested uh, Tom Hardy as Gary Armstrong. I can't really see that. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis as Sean Lanine. Uh, John C. Riley as Damien Cronin. Now that is uncanny. I could see that. Um, and the last one I'll give uh, David. This is these are all David Richardson's. He sent me quite a few. Um, I quite liked Adam Driver as Tony Stanger. That's very good. That's very good. Who, who we were going to get for Tony Stanger, so that, that's that is good. Yeah. Um. So yes. Um. We would we've got a review. Tom's already sort of said what some of the um changes to the book are and some of the updates that he's made. But um, Rory, as we speak, I think is making his way through a review copy of it. So we'll have a review up on the blog, probably before the Calcutta Cup match in in a week and a half. Now, as I said, we did record a Six Nations preview podcast because. All the players had got through the European action unscathed. Now, had it just been that Darcy Graham got injured, unfortunately it looks like he's missing the first two games, I may have still put out last week's podcast uh, on the basis that um, we could have done a little preamble that said Darcy Graham's injured. What a shame. But it wouldn't. Have, I don't think it would have made a, 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 an overall change to the flavour of what we discussed. However, as many people will be aware... Um, within 12 hours of us recording the podcast, um, Finn Russell uh, left the Scotland camp and went back to Racing 92. So we've got, we're going to do our own little investigation here. So I've got a, I've got a little theme tuner. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I've managed to drink this over there. So this is, this is what we're going with. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Finnocent. <laughs> A 
that's the Dragnet theme for anybody that doesn't know. Um, I could have gone with Perry Mason, but I went with Dragnet because I like the idea that we're, we're changing the names to protect the finocent. Um, <laughs> so, um, little Jimmy Tussle um, <laughs> was played a game in London. No, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to change his name to protect the innocent. Um, so we're going to go. What I'm going to do first of all, I'm going to go through. The various versions of what has, of what has happened, and because we've I've pulled them all, spent today pulling them all together, and where the accounts diverge, I will say so, and then we'll come back at the end and we'll talk about where this leaves Scotland. So, it was revealed on Wednesday that Finn Russell had left the Scotland camp to return to Racing Ninety Two. It was Tom English that broke the story, and after a couple of hours of feverish speculation on social media, the SIU eventually got an intern to put out the following statement, which said, Standoff Finn Russell will play no further part in preparations for Scotland's Six Nations opener against Ireland, having been disciplined for a breach of team protocol during the week's camp in Edinburgh. He has returned to his club. Which was entirely unhelpful, of course, because everybody then started speculating feverishly about what the breach of team protocol was. Uh, we had everything from unleashed a herd of ducks into a team meeting to um, I can't remember, some other wild um, throwing Fox ridiculous wife. passes. Yeah, yeah, slept with players' wives. Um, all sorts of feverish speculation. Later that evening, we then got various conflicting accounts of what happened from some proper journalists. Um, now, what we know is. Finn Russell flew up to the camp from London on Sunday after playing Saracens that day. So that kickoff for that game, anybody remember, was that lunchtime kickoff? Um, I was driving up the road from Manchester. It was a one o'clock kickoff. One o'clock kickoff. So he's not, you know, so he's not getting out of the stadium anywhere before five o'clock, is he, realistically, by the time he's got dressed. And then no. gets on a plane with Sean Maitland, flies up to Edinburgh and arrives in the team hotel. Gregor Townsend says he saw him arrive and said hello to him and Sean Maitland and then went off to do something with the coaches, off to the coaching room. We have seen an eyewitness account from someone who was there uh, who described Finn Russell as being steaming when he arrived. Senior players apparently told Finn Russell to stop drinking, but he refused. Now there's some conflicting accounts of what happens next. Now, we know that Russell left the camp on Sunday evening to go to his parents' house in Stirling. Now, that was either at 10pm or at midnight. Gregor Townsend was quoted today saying it was close to midnight, about quarter to midnight. The eyewitness account that we have seen said that Gregor Townsend asked him to leave. However, Gregor Townsend himself has said that he was unaware of what was happening until just before Russell left, and Russell had already decided to leave when he had a brief chat with him just before midnight. Russell then failed up to turn up to camp the next morning, but he did turn up later that evening. So this is Monday evening. Had a long meeting with Gregor Townsend, which Gregor Townsend talked about yesterday. Uh, There's a rumour, and I'm going to stress very heavily, this is a rumour, but I'm including it only because it's very funny. Uh, There is a rumour that that Finn Russell turned up to that meeting with a pint. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He did that as a joke, and that joke did not land as he had expected. Right, so that is a strong rumour, but I'm I'm including it only for the purposes of, of the fact that I thought that was... Some people might say that's not big or clever, but I think it's very funny if he did that. Um, like my mate, uh, one of my mates, Pete, apparently one time he got called in for a disciplinary meeting uh, about his lateness and was late, and then he had one for his absences, which he didn't turn up to. 
So, so Finn has gone full Pete. <laughs> full Pete, never go full Pete. I like the guy in New Zealand that brought a clown. He was allowed to bring someone to accompany him yes. for being sacked, and he took a, took a clown. I had a clown to go with him. I think that's that. If you're listening, Finn, that's where you go next. <laughs> that's what we do next. Um, it's so, very, so it's very, it's very Doddy Weir on the lines tour, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. The, uh, it wasn't me. It wasn't same, me. It wasn't a mistaken identity, sir. <laughs> Did he not say it was my dad? Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, mistake, <laughs> it wasn't me. It was my dad. That's right. So, Gregor Townsend said the meeting on Monday evening went well. It was a meeting that lasted about an hour and a half. Apparently, he told uh, Finn Russell that he um, would not be involved in the game against Ireland. Gregor Townsend said that's not just because of the drinking; it's also because he failed to turn up on the Monday to um, training. Uh, Townsend then said that the discussion was positive after Russell was told he wouldn't be playing and Russell was invited to remain in the camp to help the other players prepare. Russell also met with Stuart Hogg. Now, there's then conflicting accounts of what happens next. Russell left the camp after the meeting and that was agreed. And it he, I, I think it's, it was his understanding that Gregor Townsend would phone him to tell him when he could come in and rejoin the camp. And he was expecting that phone call Tuesday morning. That phone call did not happen until Tuesday evening and no further clarification was given at that point. A lot of these details were getting from the offside line uh, who did a, a good kind of summary of the conflicting reports and also Tom English's article on the BBC at the weekend pulled together a lot of the different um, things that were the knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown knowns, if that makes sense. So on Wednesday... Gregor Townsend then apparently informed Finn Russell that he could return to Paris to start preparing for Racing 92's game against Castre if that is what was he wanted. Russell then hops on a plane and goes back to Paris. Racing, Racing had given the Russell, Russell the weekend off. Other players in Scotland camp, I think Rory Hutchinson played this weekend, didn't he? Yep. So not everyone yeah. was given the weekend off by their clubs. Obviously, the Scotland players were given, Scottish-based players were... Um, Rassing had given Finn Russell the weekend off, but he went back, turned up at training on Thursday, said, I want to play. Rassing said, okay, we're not going to turn you down because the alter- we've seen the alternatives. Um, <laughs> the, he then played a full 80 minutes uh, of a 27-0 away win at Castro and played very well by all accounts. Uh, Gregor Townsend said he has had no further contact with Finn Russell since he left the camp and that his behaviours must align with the teams for him to be considered for selection. Townsend specifically said it was the incidents on Sunday evening and Monday morning, which is drinking and then failing to report for training that led to him being dropped. Russell, since then, has liked a series of tweets on Twitter, which might not sound like much, but it, a lot they're very telling. So um, there was one person who had said, there's nothing wrong with standing up for yourself. Another one from the Daily Mail's Rob Robertson, which said there are lots of folks throwing Finn Russell uh, very quickly under the bus because of his alleged behaviour. Best to show a bit of compassion and ask yourself what could be behind this meltdown. Russell also spoke to the Daily Mail saying he was available to give advice to the likes of uh, Adam Hastings and others in the camp and was planning on making contact with them in order to do so, but he declined to comment on the alleged incident in camp. The Daily Mail also interviewed the Racing 92 head coach Mike Prendergrast after the win against Castra, and he spoke highly of Russell's professionalism and of their ability to work well together. He also praised Russell for his efforts to learn French and communicate with his fellow players. So that's where we are. We're not getting the full story i don't think that much we can safely say john yes i think that's a very 
I, I, can I just congratulate you on a very succinct summary of uh, <laughs> what, what what has been uh, a stressful few days uh, for quite a lot of us? Yeah, um, uh, you did miss out one bit. You missed out the um, the beautiful photo with uh, the 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 Hulk man pose. Yes, as well. And again, it's interesting that the Hawkman pose in, in against Racing's win with a couple of his teammates pointing to him shirtless. The only member of the um, Racing 92 team shirtless flexing his muscles. Um, a lot of people thought that was arrogant, but if you watch the video that kind of accompanied it, he then has a wee dance afterwards and he's just yeah. kind of having a bit of fun. Uh, I can also It can also be confirmed that Finn Russell is currently on holiday in Dubai. Yes, yes. Mm. <laughs> um, with former, uh, with his former Glasgow, some of his former Glasgow Warriors teammates, which in itself suggests quite a lot. Um, Although, have you also seen who's currently in Dubai? Greg Laidlaw's also in Dubai, isn't he? Indeed, Uncle Greg, maybe uh, knocking maybe on. Over, have a word. Yeah, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, yes, maybe, maybe <laughs> we we wait wait for the video on uh, on Instagram of them in a nightclub somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Tie around Greg Laidlaw's head with the look on him that said, "I only tried to persuade him to play for Scotland again. How the hell have I ended up here?" <laughs> um. I'll ask the first question then for everyone. I'll ask you all this, to, and I'll, I'll, we'll start with you, Sandy. Do you think Gregor Townsend has overreacted here, Sandy? Um, yes. Qualified, yes, because I think this is a... Without obviously going into details just now, I think this is quite a nuanced situation. I don't think we can paint one person as uh, as black and the other one as white without, you know... The, the, there's definitely, I think, more to this... <laughs> I'm not sure that's really given much away than meets the eye. Um, this may well be the uh, catalyst, but I think there's uh, stuff going on that, that has meant it's come to the... Um, that something was brewing, no pun intended. Yes, no, and I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll maybe touch on that in a moment. Um, John, what, what's your take on it? Do you th- I mean, the other option was he, you know, he deal with this privately, apologises to the team and everyone moves on. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. For me, the um, the buck stops very much with Townsend on this one. Um, you're in a professional sports environment. You've, you, I appreciate that you want to give guys um, freedoms uh, and opportunities, but um, you don't. You shouldn't be having alcohol in a professional sports environment, in my mm. opinion. You just don't. I mean, you by creating that environment, you invite this sort of incident and if there's already tensions bubbling we've all been there you have a couple of beers and all of a sudden loose lips happen um you just don't want to create that environment um so i was actually thinking about it earlier on you know in a work context you you look at managers and it's always the, the manager's responsibility is to manage talent and manage people and this is no different. Finn obviously requires a certain level of management, and I don't think it's been done correctly. Yeah, I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Ian? Because we, you know, we we he he played that day, so presumably maybe even wasn't expected in camp. Well, it was obviously had said he would turn up that night, but maybe had the option of not turning up until the Monday anyway. So may have felt enti- almost entitled in a way to kind of have a drink that he might have done if he stayed an extra night in London. Yeah, well, I mean, from what I've heard, you would you imagine he would have turned up to the team hotel, but uh, would not be asked to be involved in s- certainly any kind of contact training the day after, seeing as he's just had a, a game against Saracens, which is going to be a hard-hitting European game. 
but there's, there's so many different stories flying about. Um, you know, as as well as what you've already stated, um, I'd always kind of assumed that GT and Finn Russell would have some kind of kindred spirit, sort of maverick number 10 kind of loving. Uh, but from what I've heard from a... A, a journalist who's far more experienced than I am. Um, their their love turned sour quite some time ago. Um, but you would think that he'd be given at least a day off. Uh, obviously, you know he's he's had to play a, a tough European Champions Cup game against a Saris team who are still looking to qualify through that group. Um, but we don't really know what's, what's been going what's on. Going on, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. What I thought was interesting is we about I think it was over a year ago now we spoke to Damien Hughes uh, about his book about Barcelona Football Club and, and how it had been successful. And as part of that conversation, I asked him about how a club like Barcelona, where behaviours and adherence to behaviours is so important, how they manage someone a maverick almost, and how how what happened when. Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, turned up, <laughs> and it's it's a it's it's a few minutes of this clip, but it's worth just just listening to just for us to uh, hear what what Damien Hughes said about it. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting, sort of the I suppose from from a sporting point of view, the ruthlessness of that culture in terms of when someone doesn't fit in, and I'm I'm thinking of Zlatan Ibrahimovic yeah. as, the, as the example there of this is a big money signing. It didn't fit in with with that commitment culture, and then was actually sold on by Barcelona at a loss. So, um... yeah, well, I mean, to answer that, Cami, I mean, the Zatan example is, um, is 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 really pertinent. The first thing that a commitment culture requires is you have to articulate. Well, what do I do? So it's not enough just to say, "Oh, we've got a commitment culture." You have to say, "These are the rules. Like these are the behavioural rules that are going to be important." Now. The key phrase here is behaviours, not values, because values are almost an abstract term that people can hide behind. These are behaviours, because behaviours are something that are very evident that people can see. So one of the guys I interviewed was a guy called Chiki Bagiristein, who was the um, director of football at Barcelona at the time. He's now at Manchester City. And he gave me this fantastic phrase where he said, he said, your talent will get you as far as the dressing room door here. How you behave decides if we'll keep you in that dressing room or not. So my question was, well, what are the behaviours? And they have three. So the first behaviour is humility. They say, when you come to this organisation, there's a good chance you're going to be a highly fated, multi-millionaire, superstar footballer. Do not come in here telling us about your status symbols or your success. Because if you do that, that indicates that you lack humility. And if you lack humility, that means that you can't learn and therefore get better. The second behaviour they have is uh, hard work. They say, you've worked hard to get this far. This isn't the end. This is just the end of the beginning. So you continue the hard work. And then the third behavior they have is put the team first. So if there is ever a clash between what's right for you and what might be right for the team, choose what's right for the team every time. So they're the rules of engagement. They say, you want to be a member of this club? They're the rules that you have to sign up to. And then if you, I mean, that phrase commitment, by definition, you have to commit to it. And what they say at Barcelona is there's no half measures. You don't say, oh, I like that bit, but not that bit, or I'll choose one that I do like, but I'll ignore the other. They say you commit to all of it. And if you choose not to, they say what happens by definition is the FIFO effect kicks in. And the FIFO effect translates as fit in or 
fuck off. But you don't get to but you don't get to pick the bits you like. You fit in here or fuck off and go to another club. So what they did with Zlatan, to go back to your to your example, was they brought him in for seventy million euros. And he tells the stories himself that his first day of training, Guardiola gives him the key, the keys to his club car, Sanaudi. And he says, what's this for? He says, I know you've got fancy sports cars. He said, but don't drive them into training. That's not who we're at. Uh, that's not what we stand for. Drive this club car into training every day. You're here to come and work. And he agrees to it, except the first time he gets dropped, he says, oh, I'm not bothering driving my club car in. And he drives his Enzo Ferrari in. And it creates a huge furore. There's another occasion where they ask him to accommodate the team by playing in a different position because they have injuries. And he refuses to do it. Again, he uses a car analogy himself. He says, I'm a Ferrari and you've got to drive me like I'm a Fiat. So eventually they got behavioural examples where he just wasn't prepared to fit in with what they'd asked him to do. And what they said was, you don't change. the A commitment culture doesn't change to accommodate any individual, however powerful and successful and talented they are. You don't change the culture for one individual. They, you, you sign up to it. So what I mean, when I interviewed some of the guys around it, it was really fascinating because it wasn't personal. They all spoke about Zlatan really highly. They said, oh, great bloke, really talented, you know, really enjoyed his company. He just didn't fit in our culture. He'll be successful at other places, but just not here. That's not what we stand for. Um, that was Damien Hughes, who, who's obviously working with the Gregor Townsend and the Scotland uh, squad as a consultant sports psychologist um and and i think that the kind of the things that he's talking about there is very much the angle that townsend's going for so if if you understand that as the basis of what townsend is maybe trying to achieve with scotland you can then see i suppose why if 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 he is perceives that finn russell is stepping out of line sandy then he he's right to ask him to 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 step aside if if it's bringing the rest of the team down yeah, and and you can see, I mean, there's a couple of things come that I thought about when I was listening to that. Is that one? This is not Barcelona, but not by a long chalk. I mean, I know it's a country rather than a club, but um, it, you know, if you want to compare and contrast, we're, we're, I think we've ever been Barcelona, um, <laughs> which you know, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't strive for a a performance culture just because you're not brilliant, but I think it, I think it certainly helps if you're going to be. Um, authoritarian that, that there's a reason for it is because you've got a brilliance to protect or uh, or what have you. But I think the biggest thing for me there was that I always think about, you know, it doesn't matter what the business is uh, of management. I think you have to be wary of making a decision just because it makes you look managerial. I think sometimes you've got to think about um, what the point of the endeavour is that you're there for. Uh, and if you so you kind of have to get past your own ego and that probably applies to to more than Gregor Townsend but you have to get past your own ego and make decisions because it makes the business or the sport more successful um, and I don't, you know, remains to be seen obviously but I'm not sure what's happened will make the business or the sport or the, or the team more successful um, I, I suspect it may well have and not just because Van Russell's a great player but I think the disruption you know, whilst you can you can sit all day and say, uh, we're, "We're that's not our focus just now, and we're not concentrating on that, we're we're concentrating on Ireland," it it can't help but bleed in at the edges, particularly when the it, you're now starting to see one or two um, uh, 
his teammates starting to say something about it as well. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Fraser Brown's come out, John, and said yeah. that they want everyone to pull in the same direction. I mean, it, it's hard to know. Do you think that's a kind of a veiled kind of... Because, I mean, you can, you can never expect a, an entire squad of players are going to get like each other and get on 100% yeah. at all times. Do you, do you think that indicates there is a kind of maybe a, a, a split in the squad? Because we know Ali Price initially liked one of the tweets that Finn Russell was mentioned in with Simon Zebo and then hastily deleted it. That, that there might be almost a, a split in the camp in terms of a Team Finn, Team Gregor emerging, or do you think, you know, what else is Fraser Brown going to say when he's asked a question like that, other than we all have to pull in the same direction? So, yeah, I think I think your last point there is very valid. I think Fraser Brown is absolutely, uh, you know, he's media trained, as all these guys are, which makes a lot of this quite, you know, quite shocking. But Fraser Brown's always going to be stick to part of the line. He's an experienced player, never one to really rock the boat. Um, I do, however, think there is um, a split of sorts in the camp and that has been quite evident um, I think it's been quite evident for some time actually um, with just some of the rumblings and it's it's always it's always been quite well managed and kind of you know haha laugh laugh joke joke um, about it but you know this has has kind of it's, it's brought a lot of things to the head and the fact is that, you know, to Sandy's point, managerial, you know, making a decision to look managerial, the sad fact is Townsend's made a decision that kind of goes, for me, it goes against the cultures that, you know, Damien Hughes talked about do, doing what's right for the team. I don't think this is the right decision for the team, personally. Yes, and I suppose that's it. Is, is it the right decision for Gregor Townsend rather than the right decision for the team? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Cammy, as soon as you said the words Zlatan, that's one of my trigger words. So uh, <laughs> you talked I, all about Zlatan down in Manchester. I, I, heard. I ran over to my bookshelf as soon as you just mentioned about Zlatan to get his autobiography. Uh, I, I displayed to John uh, when we were doing sales, like, look at the AC Milan top I bought because Zlatan was wearing it and it looked pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but as you were talking about the, the cars there and stuff, uh, you know, he was told. Um, page one he talks about Guardiola and how him and him didn't get on uh, so he was told don't turn up to training in Ferraris or Porsches and he said you know it was like a school Messi, Xavi and Iesta they would turn up wearing the, the club cars uh, but then you know, what, what I think contradicts Guardiola in this is that um, Messi who I regard to be the greatest footballer of all time he went to Guardiola and said I want to play in that central forward, or I want to be the central striker, but a sort of false nine withdrawn position, which meant Latan would be pushed out wide. So Guardiola kind of succumbed to Messi. Um, as, you know, uh, you know, if you're going to say Finn Russell's like any player of the Barcelona team, you would say he's like Messi, the sort of maverick, game-changing genius that can do everything. Um, so there's a little bit of a contradiction in terms. Um, but what I think struck me the most from all the stories that have come out is that um, Townsend has said himself, you know, I spoke briefly with him on the Sunday night, but it was the players that told him to stop drinking, uh, told Fenner, so he's not allowed one more pint. Uh, but obviously, you know, he's on a different schedule to them because he'd played that day. Uh, but, you know, is it for the best of the team? Is it is a one-size-fits-all the best thing for an entire team? You know, because people need managed in different ways. Uh, 
I'm not saying that Finn Russell should not be held to account for certain behaviours or values, but when it comes to, you know, seeing as he had a different schedule, should he be treated slightly different that way? Um, and also, is it the case that certain players have maybe ganged up on him? Hmm. Uh, I'm not specifically defending Russell. Everyone knows that I love Finn Russell. Uh, he's one of the finest players in the Northern Hemisphere, one of the best tens in the world. And we can't afford to lose players of that quality mm. because of the whims of other members of the squad. Yes, um, and I suppose it's that thing of you need to, you, if a good manager finds a way of bringing people along with them yes, rather than discarding them altogether, especially where you've got someone like Finn Russell, who is a ma- maverick, but then, you know, I think the reason I, I, I mentioned the Mike, Mike Prendergast interview was because there's been a lot of people sit talking about Finn Russell being arrogant and having an ego, and none of that actually stacks up if you look at the evidence. You know, you, you look at the quotes from Rass- the Racing head coach about what an absolute professional he is. If he was arrogant and ego-driven, he's not turning up at the Racing 92 training on Thursday, desperate to play on the Saturday. You know, he could have had the weekend off. He could have gone to Dubai yeah. for the weekend. and Yeah, he's away to Dubai the week before. Yeah. And and done that. So it doesn't stack up. And similarly, when you read, there was an interview, and again, unfortunately, for some reason, the Daily Mail have interviewed Finn Russell. I'm not a big fan of the Daily Mail. I like Rob Robertson and the stuff he writes. But unfortunately, <laughs> they've covered Finn Russell a lot. So that's why I'm keeping mentioning them. I don't, don't please don't buy the Daily Mail on account of this podcast. That would absolutely, oh, no. that, that would kill me. Um <laughs> However, they did do an interview with him out in Paris, and he, you know, he was talking about bringing his mates over. You know, the guys that are kind of still, you know, one guy works on the bus, one's a sparky, you know, guys that are, that he's known for years, and bringing them out to France. And you know, he was he was taking wine. They've got a wine cellar apparently under the ground at Racing Ninety Two, and players are allowed to go down and take wine out, and it just gets taken off their salary. Which sounds like an amazing salary sacrifice scheme. <laughs> my work offered it, but he'd also bought in some buckfast for them too, and it kind of, you know, I think that says a lot about the man, Finn Russell, that he's, you know, he's still in touch with these guys that he's known for years. He's still in touch with these mates. If if the kind of, the allegations have been levelled at him by people who don't know him and people who haven't maybe followed his career and have made their own mind up based on one image of him smiling during a national anthem, none of those views of uh, an arrogant Finn Russell stack up other than, yes, he is arrogant on the pitch, but that's because he believes in his abilities and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I wanted to touch, Ian, you've mentioned it, kind of the the, the, the camp, and there was an interesting article um, on the offside line by Ian Morrison over the weekend about it's kind of comparing Gregor Townsend's uh, management style to some of the problems Alan had had of, over Joe Schmidt and almost this tendency that rather than, I suppose, as things don't, aren't going to plan, rather than trust the players and try to give them the autonomy to go out and play what's in front of them, almost kind of it becomes much more controlling and there was a couple of things in that article one was um that uh Ian Morrison said he'd, he'd spoken to someone on Vern Cotter's coaching team as they were le- kind of as they were leaving the job um and he was concerned that um the the the, the group of the coaching team that Townsend was bringing in and Townsend himself were a bit too humorless and that Vern Cotter maybe understood the, the was a bit more old school and understood the need for players to blow off steam and to 
have a bit bit more downtime and and because they're under a microscope it is a stressful situation playing in six nations you are under scrutiny all the time and and the other thing was also uh, um he said that during the japan um rugby world cup he bumped into one of the players parents and kind of said a general thing about well what a great experience but the answer came back saying no on balance the player thought that the the parent thought their player hadn't really enjoyed the experience at all and then we've got we know that Stuart McAnally almost gave up rugby altogether because of the pressure that he'd felt under during the tournament so it suggests uh John and I'll, I'll give this one it, it, there's a strong suggestion and it's not just you know people might say it's circumstantial evidence but on top of that we've got you know the rugby philosophy philosopher blog who's written by a very experienced former uh, you know well current but a very experienced uh old head all the head of, of in the Scottish rugby journalism pack has said he's spoken to a former player who said I, I'm pleased I don't have to go into camp with that man anymore so it 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 suggests this is more than just a, an issue with Finn Russell yes yes and I think the McAnally example is a very very good one um to me that that World Cup looked like a bunch of guys who didn't enjoy playing for Scotland which is not great to see. And, you know, there can be lots of lots of reasons behind that. And I'm sure, you know, um, I'm sure, as you said, you know, plenty of circumstantial evidence. But ultimately, and again, I know I'm labouring this point, but ultimately the the job of the, the coach, the manager, is to get all that put to the side and get a performance out of these guys. And... It's you know what? See if we were coming. See if Finn Russell had done this on the back of us uh, sweeping the boards in 2019, getting to a World Cup semi final, and narrowly losing to South Africa. Uh, we had won a Grand Slam in the Six Nations, and you know we were we were flying. Then you could probably understand a wee bit and be like, yeah, you know what? I that's fine. That's a good decision. On the back of the season we've had. It's just it strikes me as really really naive. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk, Ian, about you know Townsend reviewing the World Cup and what had gone on, and you would, I kind of think you you gone into the Six Nations hoping that maybe having reviewed it, he decided to kind of step back and maybe hand over some of the control to other coaches and maybe a bit more autonomy to the players, and that should have been the takeaway from it. But it seems more like he's decided I need to do more of the same, but just more of it. Um, yeah, well, the main thing that I took from the uh, the Ian Morrison article was that they'd nicknamed uh, Joe Schmidt Schmittler. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I seem to remember as well, I, I can't remember, I think it, uh, I apologise to him if it wasn't him, but I'm sure it was a senior player at Leinster. Um, I think it was Jamie Heaslip, or possibly one of the Sean O'Briens, who'd said that once Schmidt had gone, they were enjoying the rugby a lot more because they just felt like robots. Mm. Um so, you know, I mean, I, I, I do find it very bizarre that uh, Townsend has been cast as this micromanager because he, he, he doesn't, as a player, certainly, he doesn't strike me as that way. And when you see him in press conferences, he's, he's quite a laid-back character. I mean, at the the Six Nations launch I was down at, which, you know, after the, as I was driving back up from, this news hit the fan. Um, he seemed very, very relaxed on the Wednesday. Hogg, I thought, seemed a little bit pent up, but I don't think I've ever seen him completely relaxed in pest conferences. I don't think it's something he particularly enjoys. But but Townsend seemed in good form. Um, 
So we, we had no we had no inkling that this this hellstorm was brewing behind him. Um, so it's uh, you know just this. What is going on there? What is I think it, it you know is it? I don't think it, it is just coach and player. Um, I think it's maybe coach and maybe some senior figures mm. who, who maybe don't get on with Finn. But Finn is. I mean, Finn was he, was he named as a vice captain in the squad initially? I think he was part of the leadership team, isn't he? I think yeah, he certainly. Them. Like, I mean, I think the the Italy game last year. He was um, captain. He was captain. Yeah, for that. yeah, he was, yeah. He was called as captain by the ref. I think. Which Hawk is why, ran, why, why yeah, yeah, because I think that was the point at which we said, "Oh my God, you let Dougal do a funeral." The the other um, thing, Sandy. I suppose I, I was thinking, kind of struck by this this idea of of Townsend as a micromanager. One, th- like Ian was saying in that Ian Morrison article, and. I don't know if you've seen that there's the two documentaries on Amazon, the All or Nothing documentaries, where one follows the All Blacks and one follows Manchester City. Yeah. And and obviously both are... We know that Townsend has a lot of time for both, um, you know, the, the All Blacks way of doing things and also kind of, I don't want to say idolises Pep Guardiola, but certainly he's taken a lot of, it, of the things that he's tried to implement from what Pep Guardiola has done in his career. And if you look at the All Blacks, what's interesting is how much of a backseat the coaches take and how much of it is player-led compared to when you watch the Man City one of how much Pep Guardiola does micromanage for all these books saying, you know, it's about culture and culture that leads. So, I mean, I if I had imagined like Pep Guardiola, I think I'd be stressed within five minutes of a team meeting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've not seen the, the, the Man City one, but I've certainly seen the All Blacks one. And it, you, you, I mean, I'm sure we've discussed in the past that, that it, it seemed that, uh, Townsend wasn't really taking much of the input from his coaching team either. It was all it was all him, and you know uh, that was making all the decisions. And that's perhaps where we've, we've maybe fallen down. But I definitely get the feeling it's uh, that uh, the way that Scotland are, or the, is a, the squad are expected is if the um, if Townsend's asking them to jump, they're only expected to ask how high. Whereas really, what we're wanting them to do is is to decide how they're going to jump. So that they can express themselves a bit better, because I mean, we can't. I mean, we're not. I mean, if you just want to go back to basics, we're not going to be Ireland. We're not going to, you know, go through a million uh, phases and hopefully wait on somebody making a mistake before we we score. That's not the team that he wanted us to be. Mm. I mean, I'm not going to go into the the fastest rugby in the world thing because I think that was a throwaway. But but still, he, he he wants he clearly wanted the team or wants the team to play with a bit of style. Uh, and you can't play with a bit of style if you're going to be completely re- completely regimented with every every facet of your uh, uh, of your game being planned out to the to the nth degree. It, it it doesn't seem the two things don't seem to match up, and and that it don't, certainly seems that that's the way that we're the way that we're going. Yeah, just a, a final point on that, John. Um, in in terms of the um. What Tom English was saying earlier when I, I asked him the question, you know, what what can Scotland learn from the 1990 squad? And the one thing he was talking about was a mental toughness, particularly in the forwards, and almost a resilience. And I think it, it's quite hard to have resilience if you've got someone me- making all your decisions for you because you've got nothing to fall back on then, have you? Yeah, I think that's a very valid point. Um, I think... Um, 
it's possibly one of the, one of the whilst again you, you know, we talked a lot about the sort of key management philosophies that we're seeing coming across in, in sports environments. It's it's one of those areas that it can fall down um, if you don't give players autonomy and don't give them the uh, ability to make their own decisions, make their own mistakes, and learn from them. Um, you don't get that bounce back, um, and you know I, th- I was listening to the, it was the rugby pod earlier on, and they were talking about the um, it was Cockrell was on, and and they were they were talking about the, the some of, some of the sessions going in on the, the Monday morning and just getting absolutely oh no they were talking about Schmidt actually going in on the Monday morning and getting absolutely roasted, um, you know that's that's not that's not a healthy environment for these guys. And, you know, again, it's that one-size-fits-all approach, which, yeah, I think it's just... It's a shame we've had to find out that it's not going to work for us in this way. Yeah. Sorry sorry to interject there, but just um, because Sandy had said, you know, if uh, if Tony says jump, players have to say how high. On page two of Slatan's book, it says, if the trainers in Italy said jump, the stars will look at them and go, what are you on about? Why jump? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, before, That's so Italian. <laughs> before we move on, I just I just want to read this selection, uh, this section from Gregor Townsend's autobiography, where he speaks to Matt Williams, who's just taken over as Scotland coach, and um, he, Matt Williams is saying about how there's a real shortage of midfielders with international experience. And Gregor said, "I agreed with him for that reason alone. I was thinking Williams would be in need of someone like me." The thing is, mate, the only way I can fill the hole is to bring in the young guns straight away. That's what I'm going to do. How does that affect your plans? I said it. I would still be available, and if I wasn't selected in the team, then that was his choice, but not a problem. He then said, well, look, I'm going to announce a squad of 44 in the next few days, and you're not part of it. Obviously, I was bitterly disappointed, and I can't deny that it came as something of a shock, but once again, I told him that this wouldn't change my decision to remain available for selection. Williams continued... That's going to put me in a difficult situation. It's too big a news story, you know. The first thing I do as national coach is to drop Scotland's most capped player from the squad. The press will be all over it. I can't have that dominating the announcement of my first training squad. Surely you wouldn't want that. Gritting my teeth, I told them that I had decided a while ago that I still wanted to play for Scotland and would probably review the situation at the end of the season. But for now, I was still available, regardless of whether I was selected or not. What came next almost floored me. Okay then, you leave me with no option. I can't have Williams Axe's Scotland's most capped player as my first headlines. If you're adamant that you still want to be selected, then I'll put your name on the squad list, but you're not to come into the sessions. <laughs> See, now that's, that's ego. Yeah. That's ego. That's a, I don't want my name really attached to this negative headline. That's that's complete ego. Yes. And this thing, I, I don't see Gregor Townsend as having an ego. Um, I think... That, I wrote on Twitter, I do think that this whole f- fenanigans, the fincidents, nice. um, I think it can be put to bed as simply as the uh, the Curtly Beale and Adam Ashley Cooper um, uh, shenanigans that happened just before the England-Australia game, where, uh, was it Kyle Sinclair or Ellis Genge that uh, called, called the Australians a bunch of snitches on the field? Yes. Because... Because they had broken team protocol by inviting, I think it was Adam Ashley Cooper's cousin had gone back to their hotel room mm. with them, and there was a sort of rule about no guests in the hotel room after ten o'clock. Um, so you know, I just think this needs, uh, it just needs some level heads, and I think Finn Russell and Gregor Townsend are very level-headed people, um, and I do think this can be sorted out very, very simply. 
what it doesn't need is people stirring the pot. Um, and whoever suggested that Mark Dawson should mediate it should just smack <laughs> themselves in the head. That was you. You. Yeah. You know, that. What. That was Rory's hands in the ruck that he'd sent me. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry for ruining Rory's hands in the ruck. Uh-huh. We're already I, I do. I do like the fact that you. I do like the fact you said people shouldn't stir the pot after we've just spent about forty minutes stirring, <laughs> no. stirring the pot. Ian. <laughs> Thanks for that. I'm really no, glad we've had you on. <laughs> <laughs> talk about level heads though. Do you, do you not just think like see if you just look at the Finn situation, do you not just think like he went back to racing to keep himself match fit? He's going to Dubai because he's got days off. Um he's having some downtime. The pot has already been stirred. We are just um reviewing how the pot is simmering. We're tasting <laughs> we are tasting, tasting the, the tasty the soup. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> But with four people on it, too many cooks spoil the broth, so I should probably have not bothered coming. <laughs> it was worth it for the entrance scene. Worth it for that it alone. It was totally, wasn't it? Um, one thing I, I mean, just we we haven't really got time to do what we did in the the initial preview podcast. We kind of went through the team from fifteen right through to one, you know, in terms of what the best Scotland team um, would be or, or our chosen Scotland team. And I think probably you know we're in game week for, against Ireland, and the team is going to be announced in the next day or so as we record this anyway, which is. By the time people listen to it, make any discussion redundant. The one thing I was kind of interested is how do you think? Um, and I'll start with you. And do you think the Hastings starting has an impact then on who plays nine and twelve? Because I mean, we we were talking about on the, when we originally recorded this that Horn and Price are almost interchangeable, and you just see what position are ahead of you. But you would maybe want to go with Price at nine over Hastings over uh, Horn. Um, no, actually, to be honest, I would. Um, if it's Hastings at ten, I would always go with Hornito because I think their ability to um, sort of, especially with Ireland, because we know they're sort of very possession based, and you know they'll try and suffocate you to death. That added extra madness. Um, you know, we're going to have two of the cats at the rave rather than the full three. Um, I, I think those two combine brilliantly. Um, I think the first time that I. I Ever had concerns about them playing together. Uh, Scott, uh, Glasgow were playing away at Ospreys. And fair enough, the Ospreys are absolute muck just now. But uh, a couple of years ago, you, you looked at it as a way fixture and like, that, that could go a wee bit sour, uh, especially with so many internationals away. Um, and we ended, I think we won 44-5. It's a thumping. Yeah. It's mm. absolute thumping. And, and Horn and Hastings were outstanding. Um, same with the Argentina away game. I mean, fair enough, you can say, oh, but they're not tested at international level. But who, what other combo do we, could we have at 9-10 that are tested at international level? There isn't one. So I would say just let those two kids go about do their thing. You know, if you want to play fast, daft rugby, you know, TM, fastest rugby in the world, prove it. Go with the young guys. Like, let them show their mettle. I mean, Adam Hastings a couple of weeks ago, uh, as Townsend said, had one of the best stand- standoff performances he's seen for the last couple of years. Um, and that's against the team who, <laughs> the the rightful English champions of the last <laughs> couple of years. Um, so if he can perform that at the, the highest level of, of club rugby, um, you know, give him the shot at the test match uh, because there's... Not he's not going to get himself tested anywhere else, and he's not going to get experienced anywhere else. And seeing as Finn Russell's now, you know, kiboshed, who else? No one, no one say Duncan Weir. Um, who, who else are you going to start? 
But yeah. I, I would definitely, I would definitely go with Horn and Price. Um, I think people saying that Horn doesn't have game management skills, or you know, he's an impact sub. I, I don't think that's right at all. I've seen him play eighty minutes or near enough eighty minutes to a very, very high level, yeah. and I, I would fully trust him to wear that nine jersey. Yeah, I mean, Sandy, I'm kind of interested in your take on this from an Ember point of view. That do you, with, with you know. I mean, Hastings isn't inexperienced at ten, but he's obviously not had the same. You know, he's not not played for as long as, as Finn Russell has. I got the same experience, but you we were talking on the last time we recorded this podcast about the possibility of, of having a you know an Ember player at twelve. Do you think you yeah. need to go with an established combination, or, or would, given they're they're in camp in Spain, they've got time to test things out? Who would you play at twelve now? Well, that's. I mean, I'd actually, I still had to keep my notes, and I'd, I'd, I wrote in the margin. Uh, earlier on today, that and me and of course I'd said uh, Matt Scott at twelve, and I'm now leaning towards going back, you know, to to Sam Johnson just because I don't I don't know that there's a any great benefit in changing too much. We're already having to change ten and force change. Do we really do we really want to be looking at? I mean, Matt Scott's got plenty of international experience, but do we really want to change that at this stage? I think we'd probably go with the 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 Trident tried and trusted if you like certainly that's a, a combination that's that's obviously playing for Glasgow on a regular basis um, so I would I'm thinking that now to be honest it, it kind of kind of maybe swayed me yeah and then John I'll, I'll ask you about the bench then because it because it does change the options on the bench now obviously Dunkey Weir yes. he's come in some people say he's the messiah but he's not the messiah he's just a pudding um <laughs> that's harsh <laughs> Um, so as a Monty Python joke, that's, that's I don't really mean that he's a you're talking about uh, He's, you know, he's he's maybe not got the versatility of some of the other players that are available. So what do you do with bench then? Do you put Duncan Weir on because he's a tried and tested ten, or are we taking a risk and putting Rory Hutchinson on the bench, who can apparently fill in there? Um, yeah, that is a very, very good question, and that's why I'm not going to pay lots of money to pick the team this week. Um, personally, I, I think that Duncan Weir adds absolutely nothing to the way Scotland play, and for me, it would be such a retro step for him to be on the bench, even with the insanity that's went on. Um, yeah, you, you you go Hutchinson, whisper it, you go Hogg. Um, to cover ten, uh, even even like um, where Kinghorn's played ten, George Horn's played ten. I know they've not played ten in years, but they have so much more about them than Duncan Weir. And I'm, I, I mean, I make no apologies for that. I, I I think he's a very very limited club player who does what he does very well. He kicks very very well, but. If we're going to beat Ireland, we're not going to beat them by getting into a kicking game with them. So, yeah. no, for me, you take a gamble on Hutchinson. Ian? So, is that is that why, um, as the screenshot we've seen, Duncan Weir will not be starting on the right wing? Some wag claims to have, have had a leaked team on the Scottish Rugby Forum on Facebook this evening and claims that Duncan Weir will be starting at 14. He did end up, as I pointed out in our group chat earlier, he did start, oh no, not end, he ended up um, in the 2015 World Cup against South Africa at fullback because of the number of injuries during that game. 
um, yeah, and scored, the, um, scored a world. Yeah. Well, he didn't score the try, but he set off a world of a try. But yeah. yeah. But remember the uh, the slaughter of Twickenham when we ended up with was it Ali uh, Price, Price on, on the, the wing? wing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. Weir was at fullback again as well on that one. Yep. Because uh, Holgut concussed by uh, cheap shots from Haskell and Atoji. Seymour got knocked out. Mark Bennett came on for ten minutes and then shattered his knee. Yep. Horrible, horrible game that. Let's let's move on. I'm thinking of all those all those zeros out of tens I gave every that day. I'm, I'm starting to feel, feel feel slightly guilty now. Um, we'll go through the fixture list then, just very quickly. I want to, I mean, uh, see if we can draw any hope out of what's been a very dire week in Scottish rugby overall, and see if we can drum up some optimism now. Um, obviously, Ireland have named their team um, for this weekend's match. They've they've gone early. Um, Ireland Scotland. Then I'll go with you all. Um, is this winnable, Sandy? Uh, it is. It can. It can be one. Will it? Not sure. No, Not I don't sure. think so. I mean, I, I think to be honest, probably as bizarre as it might seem, I think Ireland going with the tried and trusted at nine and ten may actually potentially work in our favour. And I'm not saying it's going to turn the turn the tide, but I mean the the the, the form nine in Ireland is John Cooney without a shadow of a doubt, and um, Conor Murray's a, a pale shadow of himself. And yeah. So against a a speedy and um, annoying George Horn, then you know, it could get found out a wee bit to be honest. But. So, you're telling us there's a chance, Sandy. That's lovely. Um, John, there's I'll always make... a chance. <laughs> there is, John. I'll, 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 I'll let you do the Calcutta Cup then. The week after England come to Scotland, we've we've held on to the Calcutta Cup for the first you know, twice in a row now. We've we, it's we retained it last year with that draw. How, how do you see that one going? So, um, long-range weather forecast, I expect it to be absolutely teeming it down with rain. I expect Duncan Weir to be in the 23 and for, for him to win it with a last-minute drop goal just to really wind me up. Um, no, in all, in all seriousness, I think, like, at Murrayfield, we should always be looking to be competitive. And I, I said on the, the, the director's cut of this podcast that I expected us to beat England with and inform Finn Russell at the helm. Um, let's see how Hastings goes against Ireland before we, we, we make any predictions. I don't expect to see Russell back for England, by the way, just just on as an aside. Um, I think we'll have Hastings for probably the duration of the Six Nations. Mm, um, yeah. I agree with that as well, John I. Absolutely. But then do you think, Ian, when maybe it comes to it, Lee, it's... <laughs> Finn Russell's back. <laughs> So I play the Stone Cold Steve Austin team again. Um, but remember, like my, my uh, I said, if we're going to do like head heart arse, um, my heart would be Iron Three Sixteen since we just kicked your ass. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I imagine we'll we'll lose to Ireland. Um, I think by I don't know two scores. Um, I mean, obviously, I hope that's not the case. The weather forecast doesn't look too bad. So, as Sandy said, maybe we can. You know, play some fast and furious rugby, confuse them a bit. Uh, but let's not forget, you know, Ireland, um, although Cooney's not playing, they've got a lot of Leinster boys in there, and Leinster haven't been beaten since May. Mm. Uh, they're a form team. They've, they've got a, a, a second stream that's as good as most Pro 14 first strings. Um, but no, I do think the, the Murray section, I think we can maybe get at that. Uh, you know, they're getting on a bit. Murray's coming in a wee bit of form, but he's looked a bit shaky. 
Um, Sexton's carrying a knock. Jordan Lamar starting at 15. The Arnold team has been picked. Um, you know, Sexton's carrying a wee bit of knock. Lamar uh, also. So are they fully fit? Um, but I suppose one thing that's, uh, you know, the, the bone um, of the Scottish team has been the defensive system. New coaching. Let's see how that works. Yeah. So in terms of Italy then, Ian, are you going with, I mean, got, this is going to be Sergio Parise's swan song. Italy, no, I think we'll. Um, I think, I think, yeah, we should beat them. Uh, and I'm just going to, off the top of my head, we should like put a side bet on, see how long it takes before the commentator benches that uh, Jake Paledri used to work on a subway. <laughs> <laughs> and every game. Every game. It's like, um, it's like Zandbags. You just like, you know. You know what's going to happen. It's just a case of when, isn't it? Um, yeah. Sandy then, Scotland-France again, and that's the other home game this year. Um, who knows with France? I mean, they've pretty much called up an entire nursery full of children to play. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we're not getting to see very much French rugby at the moment unless it's in Europe because of obviously options weren't taken up, but uh, 19 uncapped players in the squad. Um, uh, and you know, I think a lot of these uncapped players have come from their, their under-20s that have won the World Championship two in a row, so... Um, I, I, I watched a, a, a video on them this afternoon with um, Mr. Squidge and it gave me the fear a wee bit, to be honest. But you're right, I mean, that's the bottom line. Is you, they, they could be absolutely wonderful and it could all click or they could be woeful uh, and uh, or, or any point in the compass in between. Uh, and we just, uh, well, I suppose by the time we get to play them, we might have a clue. That's the only thing yeah. we maybe say. Sorry, is that the bottom line because Sandy Smith said so? No. <laughs> the um the, the only thing I can think of is that things must be going well because they've had at least two weeks of Sean Edwards shouting at them in French and no one's walked out of the camp in disgust yet. <laughs> Which you would have thought someone would have spat their baguette out by now. See, but you see um thing with Shane Williams when he got asked about uh he got asked about that because Sean, Sean Edwards said, you know, I can speak about four words in French. But uh, sorry, Shane Williams said uh yeah, it's like the first time I was training with him. Um doing defensive training the first six words he said to me were get back in that effing line (laughs) (laughs) that was the only words he spoke to him the entire training session yeah yeah Yeah. so no he's he's also it's interesting he's brought in uh apparently he's he spoke to nigel owens to find out what english he was going to be communicating what words he would be using for communicating with them just so he can shout it at them in their faces (laughs) until they (laughs) get gone um Lastly, then I'll, uh, the Wales game. Then John, yep. away to Wales. N- never a happy hunting ground for Scotland. I mean, there no. was, I mean, I think I said again in the the, the preview podcast that that you know will now be a collector's item at record fairs up and down the country. I, th- I said that a lot of this current Scotland squad, I think, are still suffering the effects of post traumatic stress disorder from the last time that we played in Wales because of that absolute spanking that we got particularly against Chris Harris and Hugh Jones really suffered and maybe even yes, Ali Price yeah. as well yeah yeah I think that that, that is fair um, I, the, my, my only hope with this so we'll, let's let's finish up in a positive shall we um, my only hope on this and again going back to my Adam Hastings point is that we've got through a whole tournament we've beaten Italy we've hopefully not been spanked by anyone and the kind of shackles are off a wee bit 
and Hastings can go and do mad Hastings things and break the line and have crazy Hornito on his shoulder supporting and we just go and play some rugby. Mm. I think we would all really like is just to go down to Wales and actually play as opposed to we, we kind of always went down there in the Gatlin era and just kind of got stodgy games where it was, you know, you could see Scotland were desperate to play but it just would never click. Um, and I think PVAC will get them playing... Um, I I fully expect Wales to play some nice stuff this this tournament actually, um, and that might work in our favour. We might actually yeah. get a game out of it. Yeah, I wish I watched more, one thing. I wish Wales fans would stop being so depressed and down about the state of Welsh rugby, given the fact that they've won Grand Slams recently and we've won nothing since nineteen ninety. Yes, yes, it's it's a bit it's a bit galling, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know. Check your privilege, guys. Um, <laughs> we're going to move on. We're going to Alan Jones, you know. I know exactly. Be, about. be happy, right? Let's get let's get a jingle on the go. Well, we're low Yes, it's where's Doogie Donnelly now. Adrian Richmond has, has has slid into my emails with a wonderful Where's Dougie Donnelly. Now, he, he sent this literally the moment we'd finished recording the last podcast. And I emailed him back and said, I'm really sorry you've missed out, but and I was hoping to, to carry this over. But we've, because we were recording this, the, the wonder, the wonder, this is one of the benefits of the whole Finn Russell thing is we were able to enjoy this Where's Dougie Donnelly. I feel like I'm building it up a lot, but it's so glorious that I can't build up enough. So... Adrian says, I was on a train back up from London to Enbury yesterday evening and John Jeffrey was two rows away. He seemed like a nice bloke to the other person on his table. He'd been to Marks and Spencers and had a regulation sandwich plus a very large bag of ready salted Marks and Spencers crisps and a twirl. He did have a loose leaf folder with him but it didn't seem to get much work done. Spent much more time on a crossword and Sudoku. That is some wonderful detail there. Fantastic detail. I love that. I replied and said I wouldn't have taken um, John Jeffrey for a twirl, man. Much more of a Kit Kat chunky kind of guy from I always would have thought. Can I go wrong with twirl? Uh, you know, the, the twirl beats the flake, I think, all, all the time. Hey, well, you get two, don't you? Yeah, you get yeah, two, two sticks of chocolate for one. I'm a little bit disappointed that if you're at Marston Spencer's, uh, you should be buying the salt and pepper crisps rather than just the salt ones. Salted one, although I, uh, I did email Adrian back and said I was surprised it was a 12, and he said it was the, the size of the bag of crisps that actually surprised me. So I'm assuming he's gone with a, not just a grab bag, but actually what, like a kind of sharing family pack. Your size. Yeah, that's why you go with the salt and pepper ones. Yeah, so, but that's that's exactly the kind of uh, detail we like. I like the fact yeah. that Sudoku but, and a crossword. So I think the first time you were off, Cammy and me and John, we're doing a podcast together. Uh, we spent about two minutes talking about crisps. <laughs> we did, yeah. Alan McDonald was thoroughly a big fan of. We did. Um, so I, I was going to Alan. This chat's for you. I was going to ask, just in the, on the the basis of twirls being awesome. What what's your view on a ripple? How does that compare to a twirl? Do they still make ripples? Oh yeah, they back. Oh ripples! Ripples were never away. You guys are man. crazy. Where are you shopping? Are you shopping somewhere that gets these kind of places that have got like cans of loop, but it's kind of in Turkish writing at the back? Full sugar cans of loop. I no, you can. Oh, don't even get me started. Boys. If anybody's that's, if anybody's seen a ripple, we want photos or it didn't happen, and we'll include it on the next. Where's Dougie Dunley? I am going to go. I'm going to take a photograph tomorrow. For years and like show you, like they're everywhere, guys. That I'm not having this. 
that. I'm googling that. I'm sure they brought the Ripple back recently. There you go. You come come back on that and let us know. Ian. One thing it's interesting mentioning John Jeffrey because of course it's the other precedent for someone being uh, banned from playing for Scotland for a period of time after he absolutely uh, <laughs> battered the Calcutta Cup back in 1988 with Dean Richards. True. Dean true. Richards got a one game ban and uh, John Jeffrey was banned for five months. And again, alcohol related. Yes, incredibly alcohol related. So yeah, there's a pre- somebody was asking us of this precedent, but yeah, so there's a precedent. At least he's not been banned for five months. So, yeah, Finn can be banned for five months. Have we got that any? We have we, we got, know of. Well, yeah. Have we got any update on the ripple before I move on, Ian? I've not googled it yet. I was chatting. Hang on, two seconds. Right. Chat, chat away amongst yourselves. Right. I tell you what, we'll, I'll go on the next section and then we'll we'll we'll, we'll circle back to it in hands in the ruck. So here we go. Scottish Rugby Blog Fantasy Six Nations League. It is the Scottish Rugby Blog Fantasy Six Nations League. Um, we are doing our normal Super Brew Fantasy League. Um, Rory will be putting up details on the blog. If you remember last year, you will get an invite through Super Brew to join again, unless you've opted out of things like that. But uh, check your emails, um, see if you've had an invite. Come along, join us. We'll we'll do our normal thing we do during the Six Nations where we will marvel at how wonderfully you're all doing and look at how pitifully we're all doing. Um, and we've been doing this ever since we started the podcast. We've been doing Fantasy League for longer on the blog, but it still amazes me uh, how bad we are at it. Oh, and gosh. universally so. <laughs> it's not even like there's one of us that's good at it. We're all awful at it. First year I did all right, but then I tend to go down the I'm picking Finn Russell regardless route. But ah, I can't do that for this week. Well, there you go. Um, also, a uh, quick ripple update. I um, Yes, I've uh, mistaken the manufacturer. It's Galaxy, so you do get Galaxy ripples. I was thinking of... You do. Yes. What's the one? Like, Car- Carbridge used to have the one that's like mousse with like a swirly chocolate wrapping around it. They brought that back. I can't remember what that was called, though. No. Um, so anyway, oh. back... Back to the fantasy I, league. I told you so. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, if you had said Galaxy Ripple, I would have believed you. Aye, Can no you still get a flake? Are they gone? Aye, flakes flake, You still get flakes. Don't think I've ever seen one. Have <laughs> you not had a 99 recently, Sandy? No, no. I, I, I live in Scotland, for God's sake. <laughs> Ed, Ed, Edinburgh, Edinburgh is the sort of place that would deprive you of flakes, I suppose. So I will not... I will not tell you what my... Uh, very elderly, she now sadly departed, uh, great Auntie Cathy used to call an ice cream sandwich and used to ask for it because it is not PC. Moving swiftly on, let's do this now. Yes. It is time for our Any Other Business section of the podcast. Um, my hands in the ruck this week is the words that my great Auntie Cathy used to when requesting an ice cream sandwich. No, I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> the um, we, 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 This is our Any Other Business section of the podcast where we sometimes talk about things out with Scottish rugby, sometimes uh, Scottish rugby related, sometimes not. As I said, Rory... Um, Ian's kind of stole the march on Rory's, which was that um, a couple of people have suggested that Mark Dodson should act as mediator without realising the fact that Mar- um, 
Finn Russell's father successfully took Mark Dodson personally to an employment tribunal and won. So um, I don't think that's probably the best. Uh, Greg Laidlaw, I think, probably hopefully doing some magic in Dubai. Maybe Finn's there at the invite of Greg. We don't know. Who knows? Um, I'll start with you, Sandy. What's your hands in the ruck? Um, I'm going to go for the uh, Richards Cockrell for Scotland Brigade. Uh, and I'm aware that when I start this, this is a rather weak plea uh, to people <laughs> to stop putting his name forward for Scotland. It's a, I think a, a, my argument's a bit like Tom Hanks at the end of Saving Private Ryan when he's popping off shots with his revolver at the Panzer that's coming over the bridge. <laughs> fairly, fairly, in, fairly ineffectual. But, you know, please leave him alone. He is fine where he is. He hasn't won anything with Edinburgh. Yeah, and the last time he won anything, he had he, he didn't do it with a, almost every professional player in the country playing for him. Leave him alone. He's fine where he is. Thank you very much. Okay, so that's Sandy. <laughs> so you'd prefer Jim Malander. So if we're going to have anyone, you want Jim Malander. A worldwide yes. search and then Jim Malander, rather than worldwide search and then Richard Cockrell. I'm going to spend. I'm going to spend the next two months talking up uh, Gregor Townsend just so that he gets to keep his job. <laughs> <laughs> I got more that in our uh, head heart arse predictions for saying I didn't want Edinburgh to win the Pro 14. I was like, I want them to get to the final. That's my heart. So I was like, I want them to get to the final, but I don't want it to win because I want bragging rights. So now you're just trying to deny the entire country, whereas I'm yeah. just trying to deny a city. I'm, I'm being entirely selfish. You are really more that. selfish than me. <laughs> so you're, you're the worst. You're the worstest. <laughs> not not thinking of the greater good, Sandy. How that's absolutely yeah, shocking. Absolutely shocking. I suspect my opinion won't count for much if they decide. <laughs> um, John, what's your hands in the ruck? Uh, so I'm going to go out with of Scotland because I've frankly had enough of Scotland this week. Um, <laughs> it's just it's been yeah stressful. Um, our good pal Izzy Falau is back in rugby. Um, yes. Signing for the for the Catalan Dragons today. Um, f- I absolutely loved the fact that Wigan are holding their LGBT day, the day that he's due to play against them for the Dragons. That is beautiful timing. Um, but frankly, the fact he's been allowed back on a rugby pitch for me is an absolute disgrace, and the Catalans should be ashamed of themselves. But that's. Yeah, that's rugby league. I like the fact that we're going to announce that within one minute of the Catalan Dragons announcing the signing. It was it was so rapid. It was brilliant. They must have known it was coming and just been bad. sat with the tweeting drafts and then just gone, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Off it goes. No, it's a, 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 marvelous, a marvelous thing to do. So that'll be, I look forward to that. Um, Ian, your hands in the ruck while I desperately yeah. try and think of one. Right, so first of all, um, I just want to make a sort of public apology to our dear friend, uh, listener of the podcast, Ian Wallace. Me and I had a bit of a miscommunication earlier this morning, Um, so I just want to say sorry, him, we're all good now, so that's fine. Um, But seeing as I've gone down a wrestling vibe, also like John, I'm sick of talking about the crap that's been going on this week. Um, And seeing as we talk about wrestling, I would just like to give a hearty congratulations to Andrew McLean Galloway a.k.a. Drew McIntyre, who won the Royal Rumble on Sunday night. First British person won the Royal Rumble, and he gets a title shot at WrestleMania. So, <laughs> so well done to that boy from Ayrshire. There we go. Aye. You don't get that on any, other, any other rugby podcast, do you? No. That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, did 
you see his speech at the end of it? Like, my sister's a mad wrestling fan. I've not seen wrestling for ages, right? I, I saw his speech, and he's like, like, because he'd been at WWE, and then he left, went back, back down to sort of indie circuits, and now he's back, and now he's mainstream. So, you know, good on him. Good Ayrshire boy. Uh, aye. So Tangential link. They play rugby in Ayrshire, so that's the link. Yeah. Well, yeah. Finn Russell played for Ayr, so... Very good. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, and I've been to see Bulls games a few times. Done well, that's going to be the next thing. We need to get him. Need to get him in an Ayrshire Bulls shirt. Yeah, on I WrestleMania. Think, yeah, get him number six. Actually, see the first uh, Bulls game I did. Went at the press room and they had Gordy Reid's shirt up on. Like they had it on a hanger. Like, he's, um, you know, the shirt they used for his uh, press signing. Yeah, was that a five double XL? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. You could you could camp in that Ian. I Must could. be Macron, surely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very good. Um, my hands in the rock then, which I—it's I, only because I forgot to mention it earlier—is it's the lack of. Um, it's the fact that the players in camp have obviously been told to stay off social media because there's not a peep from them at all. And you know, I bring back scare cam. What I see the guys having fun in camp and doing, getting up to all sorts of stuff. But yeah, they're all all they're doing is posting official, reposting official photographs. So I can only imagine they're getting their phones confiscated at breakfast at the start of the day and handed back to them at night time. Well, you saw the WhatsApp message. Aye, well, true. Tony's got Tony's Tony's withholding the Wi-Fi password and got serious some really, <laughs> really sort of harsh filters on the hotel Wi-Fi. You're not even allowed to play Fortnite. <laughs> no, well, and that at least, at least we used to get Instagram videos of them playing Fortnite with each other. Nothing, just official reposts of official photographs. So yeah, see the um, the, the the statement that came about Finn Russell being um, dismissed from the camp. I noticed that's the only one in the last sort of two weeks that didn't have hashtag as one on it. <laughs> have oh, we verified okay. that it was an intern that wrote it? <laughs> No, it just. It, but they did that really that thing that really annoys me, where they just wrote a spokesperson for the Scottish Rugby Union said, "Yes, yeah." It's like just make a statement. You can say statement yeah. by the Scottish Rugby. You don't need to say a spokesperson said. Just say Tooney said. Tooney said, right? But because yeah. a spokesperson no, said is only when they phone you directly for a quote. Then a journalist will go go off and say a spokesperson said. You don't need to write a spokesperson said. You just write. <laughs> Scottish Rugby Union have issued the following statement, yeah, and that's yeah. all you need to do. And then when it gets written up, someone will either say, a spokesperson said, and they'll add that bit themselves. That's how it works. Do you need to write our in? <laughs> our independent journalist has said, <laughs> this is fine. Nothing to see here. Please move along. We don't need Finn Russell anyway. That nutmeg was complete fluke. <laughs> so we're all doomed anyway. Yeah, he's not been back, has he? No. <laughs> sat, on a, sat on a big fat retainer somewhere. It's actually Dod- Dodson's bonus wasn't actually that big. That was actually the independent fans bonus. <laughs> just to pay him, just, pay him off. Dodson's just sitting there like jabbing a hut, throwing them scraps. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's dressed up like Princess Leia. <laughs> I understand that's how we got the gig. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Where do we go from here, Cam? I don't know. Any, any. I, I don't know where we can go from here. As, as you can hear, things are pretty desperate. <laughs> we've, 
We've resorted back to Star Wars again. Set the Scotland Cup. <laughs> Aye. So, we're an hour and 21 minutes into recording, plus the Tom English interview you've got, which is about 20 minutes. So, if, you, if you're still with us at the hour and 40 minute mark, God bless you. We'll be back next week, post-Ireland. Hopefully, hopefully... Um, with 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 some hope in our hearts, but who knows at this stage? But uh, stay safe, everybody. All the best, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Cheers. Hell yeah.